Radiotopia. Welcome to the Kitchen Sisters present PRX. We're the Kitchen Sisters, Davia Nelson and Nikki Silva. Hi, this is Nikki of the Kitchen Sisters. We want to tell you about a new weekly from PRX called Monumental. Did you know there are 22 monuments depicting mermaids, but only two depicting U.S. Congresswomen? The landscape of public memory is changing, but is the day-to-day changing with it? Monumental will uncover the stories that our monuments are telling about what and who is important, as well as the stories that have been left out. Join host Ashley C. Ford and our team of 12 journalists across the country as they confront the reality of what we publicly commemorate, exploring big questions about the past, present, and future of monuments. Listen on Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts. The Kitchen Sisters Present is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. My name's Salman Rushdie and I write books. In the mid-70s, there was a period when I used to do advertising for Roundtree's chocolates. I was working at the ad agency that did a lot of their brands. One of my most well-known advertising campaigns was for Roundtree's Aero chocolate. It's called Aero because it's aerated chocolate, so it's kind of got bubbles inside. We did this campaign. It was words ending in bubbles, so it was Adora bubble, Irresistible bubble, Delecta bubble. We had a shop window saying available bubble here. We had bus signs saying transporter bubble. <laughs> you had trade advertisements saying profit a bubble. <laughs> so I made that up. Um, I don't think I ever worked on Kit Kat, which is their major brand. But you know, everybody has to start somewhere. Over the next three episodes of Fugitive Waves, we'll be traveling the globe, exploring little-known kitchen rituals and traditions, how communities come together through food. Stories from our Hidden Kitchens World series. Communal kitchen was a war zone. During the Stalin time, it was the most dangerous place to be in the kitchen. Mafia kitchens from Sicily. Dissident kitchens from Russia. Turnspit dogs from medieval England. Turnspit dogs, they were viewed as kitchen utensils, as pieces of machinery. They were referred to as the kitchen dog, the cooking dog, or the vernipater cur. Atomic wine from France. I take the bottle in the hand. I put the bottle close to the detector and we start to record the gamma rays we are looking for, radioactivity, in the wine. Hidden Kitchens World. Stories of land, food, and community from across the globe. I'm your host, Francis McDormand. We begin in Sicily, where the effort to bring the mafia under control has spilled over into the world of food. 
Today, small agricultural cooperatives across the island are making organic wine and olive oil on land confiscated from the mafia and bringing these products to a global market. The Libera Terra Cooperative is at the forefront of this movement, providing pure local products and mafia-free employment in a country marked by staggering unemployment, deep-seated corruption, and a rich kitchen tradition. Hidden Kitchens Sicily, the pizza connection. My name is Walter Bonanno. I'll be the guide during this tour. Follow me. This is Museum of the Anti-Mafia in Sicily. And my job starts from the sentence by a famous judge killed by mafia in 1992, Paolo Borsellino. He used to say, talk about mafia, no matter how. If I talk about mafia, I don't forget mafia. Come closer. Over there, on the left, the last of the godfathers, Bernardo Provenzano. If you go to his former house, now that house is a shop in which they sell tomatoes from these confiscated fields. It's a symbolic thing. We are taking back what they stole. This sign here, Bene Confiscato alla Mafia, that means property confiscated from the Mafia. My name is Gabriele Mastrilli. I work for Libera Terra in Sicily. Libera Terra produces good organic food in the lands that was of the Mafia. A lot of people fighting for agriculture reform was killed by the Mafia. And one of these was my grandfather. Luigi Ciotti. My name is Don Luigi Ciotti, I am a priest. After the terrorism in Italy with the death of judges Falcone and Borsellino, we started Libera Terra. Libera is getting these lands and give them to young farmers that work in cooperative way. What we grow from this land can be found in Italian supermarkets, pasta, olive oil, and the mozzarella. This organic produce is a slap in the face of mafia bosses. It's the victory over crime. We are getting up to the vineyard. This is all part of confiscated poverty. I am Francesco Galante, Liberatera Project. There are 40 people in the winery and vineyards. We are organic certified. To be organic was a form of respect. Start anew. The idea of being kind to the soil itself, to take poisons, symbolic and real from the soils. In our wine, you can smell the sea and the mountains. My name is Angelo Shortino. I am responsible of this field where there are grapes. We don't use a lot of machine in our production. We try to use as many people as possible. We still use the hands. Our goal is to give work. Ten years ago, when Placido Rizzotto Cooperative started in this territory, nobody wants to come here to work. They were scared. The mafia, they burn the field here just before the harvesting of the grain. Three years ago, when we collect olives for the first time, we had police around us all the time. We, yeah, with, with guns. The last year, mafia burned 
olive trees. They went there and they burned each one. It's a sign. It means that the mafia are still there and if they can burn a tree, maybe they can also kill you if they want. We don't want to go out of the field with police. It's a wrong message. We have to show to the people that to work with Libera, it's a good thing. The mafia is like a snake. It's very difficult to catch. Mafia here in this area near Chinese uh, was really powerful. And they decided to build the airport here to control the drug traffic between Palermo and the United States. It was called the pizza connection because uh, they used to transport the drugs, the heroin, inside the tomato can to the United States for the pizzeria. The pizza connection. Recently, the FBI rounded up a number of people and charged them with being part of an elaborate heroin distribution network in America. Small town pizza parlors were their cover. In the early 70s, narcotic distribution was taken over by a mafiosi. So what had been the French connection out of Marseille became the pizza connection out of Palermo. I'm Peter Schneider, sociology and anthropology professor, Fordham University. Heroin traveled from Palermo in all sorts of containers, in oranges, in cans of tuna, in diplomatic pouches, under the gowns of nuns who were coming to collect money for their orphanages in Sicily. And yes, some of them came in the cans of the San Marzano tomatoes that were being sent to make pizzas in New York. From an economic point of view, we are a very poor land because of mafia. Youth unemployment, 50%. My father and brother have to work outside Sicily. Everybody goes to other countries. No factory, no industry is willing to invest their money in a land full of mafia because you have to pay an extra tax, the one called pizzo. They pay protection. In Palermo, currently 70 to 80% of shopkeepers pays a form of extortion, pays the pizzo. Pizzo refers to the beak of a bird, like a parrot, who dips his beak into the food or water. The mafia also says, we want our pizza, we want our beak full. The idea of Adio Pizzo was to say no to the pizzo. Farewell, pizza. Half dozen students, very active in the anti-mafia movement, who were planning to open a cafe in Palermo. And one of them said, suppose they come and want the pizza. Why should anyone have to pay the pizza? And they began printing up these little stickers that they put on light posts and store windows all over the city. All of a sudden, these stickers appeared, and no one knew where they came from. My name is Valerio D'Antoni, I'm a lawyer. I am a member of the Adiopizzo Committee. The night of the 28th of August 2004, we covered the city with these stickers. It seemed as though we came out of nothing, but in 1992, many of us were in school and there were these massacres of Falcone and Borsellino. They became part of us. We smelled the terror and death of those years. The Libera cooperatives who are producing good wine, good grains, good olives, or making a point of saying this food is pizza-free. It's very, very difficult to buy something to eat and be sure that there is nothing to do with the mafia. When you eat food with Libera Terra label, you are sure that product and the workers, they don't have nothing to do with the mafia. 
Libera Terra. They have a wine called Cento Passi. They have another wine called Placido Rizzotto. When you drink the wine, it's a way to remember the work of those young heroes killed by mafia. So it's a very symbolic thing. Maybe from an economic point of view, it's not a big business, but I like the symbolism in it. You can visit the Mafia Museum and see the fields of Liberaterra at kitchensisters.org. Now to Great Britain for the seldom heard saga of the Turnspit Dog, a small cooking canine bred to run in a wheel that turned a roasting spit in medieval kitchens. In 1639, a tourist visiting Bristol remarked, there was scarce a house that hath not a dog to turn the spit. Turnspit Dogs, the rise and fall of the Venipator Cur. Since medieval times, the Britons have delighted in eating roast beef, roast pork, roast turkey. Oh, the roast beef of old England and old English roast beef. They sneered at the idea of roasting meat in an oven. For a true Briton, the proper way was to spit roast it in front of an open fire using a turnspit dog. The turnspit was a breed of dog that was once an essential part of every large kitchen in Britain. I'm Kira Farrell, Library and Collections Manager at the Kennel Club in London, 1576. The very first mention of them is in the first book on British dogs ever written. Turnspit dogs had grey and white fur. They were referred to as the kitchen dog, the cooking dog, or the vernipator cur. A low-bodied, short-legged. Crooked front legs. Quite a heavy head. Drooping ears. Strong and sturdy, capable of working for hours. Turnspit dogs, they were viewed as kitchen utensils, as pieces of machinery. We have a huge fireplace in an old Georgian kitchen. There is a chain from the spit up to a wheel, and in that wheel is a small dog running frenetically, causing the spit to turn. The roar of the fire, the clanking of the spit, the patter from the little dog's feet, one way of training the dog was to throw a glowing coal into the wheel to make the dog speed up a bit. I'm John Bonderson. My book is Amazing Dogs, a Cabinet of Canine Curiosities. During the Middle Ages, cooking a meal, large joint meat, could only be done on a spit and the lowliest person in the kitchen staff usually a small boy, turned the spit. Hours and hours, the hands used to blister. During the 16th century, they made the transition from small boys to dogs. Shakespeare mentions them. He describes somebody as being a curtailed dog fit only to run in a wheel. Curtailed means they've got their tails cut off. It was a way that they used to differentiate between the dogs of the nobility and the dogs belonging to ordinary people, these little curtailed dogs, were the ones that were put into the wheels. The dinner must be dished at one. Where's this vexatious turnspit gone? Unless the skulking cur is caught, the sirloin spoiled, and I'm at fault. My name's Lucy Worsley, Chief Curator at Historic Royal Palaces of London. 
Charles Darwin commented on the dogs as an example of genetic engineering. He said, look at the spit dog. That's an example of how people can breed animals to suit particular needs. On the Sunday, the turnspit dog often had a day off. The dogs were allowed to come with the family to the church, not because of any concern for their spiritual education, but because the dogs were useful as foot warmers. Interestingly, there are also a few records of turnspits being employed in America. Benjamin Franklin's Pennsylvania Gazette had advertisements for turnspit dogs and wheels for sale. A turnspit was active at the State House Inn, Philadelphia. The State House Inn was where all the old political cronies hung out for their slice of beef and their ale. The owner, in 1745, advertised spit dogs for sale. Evidently, he was also breeding them. I'm William Moyes Weaver, author of several books on food ethnography. In 1702, the wife of William Penn, founder of Pennsylvania, writes to England that she wants a wheel for her turnspit dogs and a butter churn. If they can turn a spit for meat, they can also turn a churn for making butter. In this country, the dogs were basically used turning the spit in large establishments in cities like hotels, kitchens. In the 1850s, the founder of the SPCA was appalled by the way the turnspit dogs were treated in the hotels in Manhattan. This bad treatment of dogs eventually led to the founding of the SPCA. With time, mechanical spit-turning machines called clock jacks, they became cheaper and cheaper as a result of mass production. The clock jacks took over from the turnspit dogs. It became the stigma of poverty to have a turnspit dog. They were ugly little dogs of quite morose disposition, so nobody wanted to keep them as pets. Their turnspit dog became extinct. The George Inn in Wiltshire has a unique spit roast, the only survivor of its type in the country. I think we're going to do something completely unprecedented here, aren't we? <laughs> we're going to turn a spit with a dog in a wheel, which is something I know hasn't been done for about 200 years. Coco, I think we've got to get you into the wheel. There are numerous kitchen dog wheels kept in various museums, but the Abergavenny Museum has the only example of what a turnspit dog really looked like. This dog was named Whiskey. Whiskey is the last surviving specimen of a turnspit dog, albeit stuffed. My name's Sally Davis, custodian at Abergavenny Museum in Wales. The way she's posed, um, the taxidermy, I think possibly it was their first go, I don't know. What kind of dog today is the closest relation to the term spit dog? Possibly the Queen of England's favourite dog, the Welsh Corgi. The downtrodden, lumpen, proletariat, turnspit cooking dogs may well be related to the Queen's pampered royal pooches. Come on, Coco, you can do it. Hey, there we go. Well done. You can see a picture of Whiskey, the last of the turnspits, at kitchensisters.org. You've been listening to the Kitchen Sisters Present, produced by the Kitchen Sisters with Nathan Dalton and Brandy Howell. In our next episode of Fugitive Waves, part two of our Hidden Kitchens World Trifecta, 
stories of atomic wine and the romance and sex life of the date. You've been listening to The Kitchen Sisters Present, produced by The Kitchen Sisters with Nathan Dalton and Brandy Howell. The Kitchen Sisters Present is part of Radiotopia from PRX, a curated network of extraordinary cutting-edge podcasts created by independent producers. Radiotopia from PRX is made possible with support from the Knight Foundation, and thanks to AdZerk for providing their ad-serving platform to Radiotopia. If you are interested in supporting this and other podcasts like it, email sponsor at prx.org. Thanks for listening. It's an election year, have you noticed? But does it feel like our democracy is running smoothly? Does it feel like our leaders are responsive to our needs? If you don't think so, you're not alone. So the question is, how can we start to fix it? Luckily, there are things we can do right now to get us back on track. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group of shows, hosts, and networks who are banding together to try and make things better. We're partnering with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization working city by city and state by state to pass laws that protect democracy and improve it. We need a system that works for the American people, not just special interests. And you can do your part. Go to represent.us slash podcast. That's represent.us slash podcast to join the movement today. Radio Tokyo.